Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Poetry Podcast with Lyd Havens. Lyd Havens is a reader and writer currently living in Boise, Idaho. Their work has previously been published in Plowshares, Poetry Northwest, The Shallow Inns, and Tinderbox Poetry Journal, among others. They are the author of I Gave Birth to All the Ghosts Here, Nostrovia Press 2018, and the winner of the 2018 Ellipsis Poetry Prize. Lid will graduate with a BFA in creative writing from Boise State University in the fall of 2021. Hi, and welcome, Lid. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm so excited to talk about your chapbook, your new chapbook. It's your second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I'm very excited to talk about it too. Would you like to start us off by reading a poem? Sure. Um, I will read the titular poem from Chokecherry um, called Chokecherry. I imagine my uncle and grandfather's last moments, my own hands a triangle around my neck, my thumbs just barely touch. I am hardy, like an oak fighting a chainsaw. I cough sap into the sink and the porch light goes out. When I was 13, I spent three months trying to get bath water out of my nose, my blue socks sticky on the tile floor. The nurse asked me what was on my mind, but I turned the Walkman's volume up to its maximum. I'm almost 22 now and stumbling over my own memory like deforestation. What have I lost? My wallet four wisdom teeth. I had a roommate who stole all my silverware. My parents' wedding cake is rotting in the freezer. My grandfather's last words to me are in a stranger's handwriting. I guess I'll just say it. My uncle broke his own neck while I was on my tiptoes trying to hang a mirror up in my bedroom. Everything my grandfather ate for two months straight became liquid in his lungs. I am still as tall as I was at 10. I need to get a new inhaler. The nurse asks if I'm a smoker. No, but my parents are. No, but my best friends are. No, but when I was a kid, we almost lost our house in a wildfire. No, but choking to death seems to run in the family. Sometimes I wake up gasping for air like my bed is on fire. Somewhere in Illinois, there's a tree named after my uncle. It could be any tree, though. How could I know which one? Would I see the smoke? Thank you. That's incredible. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And I think, I mean, not only all the places the poem goes, but that the form, you know, this is not this is not simply a left aligned form um, and constantly throughout Choke Cherry, I found myself really surprised in the best way by how your poems live on the page. Um, and I find it very exciting um, that, I don't know, I, the other day I was reading a book and I actually found myself being kind of bored that the forms, the kind of visual forms of the poem weren't as exciting as the mm-hmm. poet's words and the, the form it felt like the form hadn't quite caught up to where the poet was um and that is not something I ever feel um with your poems that oh 
you're really trying such new and different containers and they feel right. Like you're finding the right ones, mm-hmm. um, for your really complicated, um, you know, elegiac, you know, gender genealogical poems that have to hold so many things, right. You need them to be, um, I, I want to say the word capacious, but I say it way too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need them to be very generous and you need them <laughs> to have, you know, big arms, right. Mm-hmm. Um, which maybe that's, is- that's a huge relief to hear. Cause I'm always like, as I've evolved as a writer, like form has become so much more important to me and I sort of tinker around with it quite a bit. Um, and so I am always trying to make sure that there is sort of that balance between the words and the form being side by mm-hmm. side in, you know, just rigor, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Does, does reading aloud? Cause it's, I mean, even as I was talking, I was like, Oh, Hannah, you're, you know, probably being too wedded to the idea of like how a poem looks or like the visual, but mm-hmm. do you find that I'm sure you do, but you can answer this obviously however you want to, um, that reading your poems aloud and thinking about the sound is also part of the form. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. For me, definitely it is. I mean, I started writing poems and taking poetry as seriously as, you know, a teenager can when I was 15 and I did poetry slams for like five or six years. And um that was incredibly influential to how I just started um basically wondering how how can how does the poem sound and then it evolved to how does the poem sound but also how does it look because I like when there's that difference and it's sort of like a little surprise like when Mm -hmm. you hear somebody read a poem out loud and then you go and you find that poem either online or in a book and you see um, the way that the poem takes shape on the page. And I always really love that. And so I'm always sort of examining that and Hmm. um, yeah, wondering, you know, how they can balance each other out. Yeah. I really love that description. Um, And it seems like there's like a little, not a hard and fast one, but a little bit of counterpoint for you between like how it sounds and like, there's a friction for you that you like. Um, Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was, um, in a class last week, I think time is, it's so hard to keep track of time at this point. Um, and I read a poem aloud and one of my classmates, uh, you know, just sort of remarked that, when I was reading it out loud, it was completely different from how it looked on the page. And I said, well, yeah, I, I kind of like it that way personally for me. Mm-hmm. I like being able to read it in a more fluid and organic way. And then you see it's a, it's different on the page. Yeah, I think that I really first experienced that um, as a student when I read Linda Gregerson's work for the first time mm-hmm. and the way like tersets are all over, but then you hear a read and you, you don't hear the tersets, right? Like mm-hmm. she just reads straight through and I was boggled and I was like, wait, you can do that. That's possible. <laughs> um, so it's really interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Especially cause I know for her, she says, um, oh, she's got some interviewers. She says like, oh, 
it's powerful. She says something similar to like a church that saved my life um, mm-hmm. <laughs> or something really dramatic. Um, but it's, yeah, I don't want to, I, I, I would rather hear what you have to say about form than what I, cause I know what I think about form. Um, yeah. Until- I mean, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just, I can be very boring when it comes, I can be someone who will just like want to write in a column all the time or really likes a sonnet like box. And so I'm just like, here's the box and it goes in and it goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that's why it's so beautiful to encounter um, form and all its variety in, in other people's work. Yeah. I think that I, I said this in a different podcast in like February where I sort of started experimenting with form as a way to basically deal with some anger I was feeling in my life. It was right after I became estranged from my dad and I just felt so angry. And I was like, I need to do something, you know, that's actually productive and not harmful. And so Mm. I sort of just threw myself into, let's just screw around with what form can do. Um, Because I had taken my first poetry class of my undergraduate career like a few months prior and our very last unit was on form and I just loved it I loved being able to experiment with you know writing a poem and then you know uh blacking out certain parts and just creating a completely different poem and seeing the ways that white space can change a poem that's just all the way down the left column into something that's much more expansive and um, I guess poignant. Um, So, I mean, a lot of the times I always feel like whenever I write, I sort of, I said this first about writing papers. I always feel like I'm doing it again for the first Mm -hmm. time where like, I'm, it's sort of like when you're a toddler and you learn how to walk and you're taking those steps and you're doing it and you're doing it and you're doing it and then you trip. And that's how I feel writing. We're just, there's something like somewhat new about it every time. And so I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but just, I love being able to experiment and I have really come to love the revision process, just getting to take the poem again and, you know, make some cuts and then change the form if I have to, um, which I'm doing a lot right now is just writing poems, um, realizing that maybe this isn't their true form and then just sort of playing around with it. Mm. Yeah. No, I'm I'm absolutely, I've been nodding in agreement. I know listeners can't see that, but um, (laughs) yeah, I, I was thinking of the line begin again which has such lovely sonics. And um, I know it was in someone's, someone's poem I read on Twitter, but um, I'll again, again. Beginning. I, I, yeah, now I'm hearing it. I'm like, that sounds familiar, but yeah. And I, I do think it's something we have to do over and yeah. over every time, which is it's, it's like the relief too. I think, um, and I have, I have some ADHD and I know <laughs> for some poets, they, with similar, you know, attention, attention spans, it, 
it's helpful to focus on small text and to smaller writing projects and to break things up and Mm -hmm. to not have some, or if you're writing a longer work, right. If you can break it up and yeah, um, absolutely. It's definitely part of the relief of of Mm -hmm. poetry and that you can fit reading, you know, a small poem into your day. Yeah, absolutely. It just, I think also uh, the, the more I think about just, you know, how, I've been very drawn to this sort of experiment, um, experimenting with form. Um, in a way, I think it's also just sort of, in a way, people always talk about their inner child and you know, helping and healing their inner child. And I think that screwing around with form and with, uh, <laughs> uh, with, I don't know, line breaks and metaphors and, you know, trying to get that syntax, like just, just right. I think that in a way helps my inner child because I know when I was, when I was younger, I just would throw myself into other things as a means of, I think both distraction and survival. Cause I grew up in a very tumultuous household. And so I was always just looking for a way to feel grounded and safe and so I did a lot of I drew a lot I read a lot I started making collages when I was in my early teens and I love just being able to piece things together in a visual way and um I mean now like I I taught myself how to weave at the beginning of the year and it's kind of similar just being able to see something come together um And so I think in a way I've found a lot of comfort in just experimenting too. Yeah, I love, I really love and appreciate what you've said about um, form as this way to do something productive with anger. Um, Mm -hmm. I hope I'm quoting you right there. I think that's really incredible to think about. Um, It's And there's that Yates line about, you know, it is myself that I revise that there's like something about the self that is mm-hmm. encapsulated by form. And when you work on form intently, like, do you question your form or, or are you yeah. like me, someone who falls really easily into like life habits and then you just, you're comfortable. And, mm-hmm. um, cause I have a manuscript I've been working on. And one of my challenges is to leave shaggy big lines because I constantly want to regularize and make everything same and neat. Mm -hmm. And I think it doesn't need to be that way. And I, and I try to challenge myself, but then in the end, sometimes I feel like I'm like, man, maybe this just poem isn't as good as it could be because I'm doing anyways. It's the, no, actually, (laughs) oh, absolutely. I've actually been thinking about that specifically a lot because I was telling you before we started recording, that I'm working on my thesis right now, Mm. which is just like, another chapbook length manuscript of Mm. poems. And during my meeting last week with my professor, who's basically the equivalent of my thesis advisor, we were talking and she, and she said like, you seem very comfortable with uh, this, this line length. And sometimes you make these breaks where like you have this incredible image, but you break the line Mm. to conform to this Mm. weird, almost like, I don't want to call it a tick, but it's like, yeah, it's something I've fallen into. Um, I'm comfortable with it. And so yeah. um, right now what I'm working on is uh, 
letting myself write these expansive lines and, you know, letting a line just be an entire sentence. Mm -hmm. I don't have to break it and hope that like, there's a cool enjambment going on. Cause like the enjambment is not worth it. If, mm-hmm. um, if I'm basically cutting a really strong image in half and I have an essay that she recommended to me that I, I haven't gotten a chance to read yet, but it's by Denise Levertov about mm-hmm. um, just basically the precision of lines and, you know, really thinking critically about your line breaks, which I started doing Fairly like a couple of years ago, I started being like, oh yeah, I got to start thinking critically about this. But what I ended up doing was just focusing so much on enjambment that a lot of other stuff got lost and um, yeah. that, that hyper-focus. So mm. I feel like that's something all of us, all of us poets should be doing um, is thinking critically about lines because I I used to be like a a hardcore formalist and Mm -hmm. um, I was always writing iambic pentameter. I was really into Milton, Um, but I got really, really bored with meter. Mm -hmm. And I, my favorite for my favorite meter is if I don't notice it, if I don't notice a poet's doing it, that's when I like their meter best. And if I notice it, I'm, I'm just like, this isn't, this isn't, this is distracting and it's not, it's not a good poem in its own right. All I hear is the meter. Um, which, you know, can happen if you regularize too much. And, um, but then at the same time, if I'm always writing poems that are the same length, I'm actually achieving like a metrical similarity because like, if you, even if you use, I mean, anything is a meter, a measurement, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you measure a two and a half inch line, a certain amount of sound will basically be able to fit into that line. Mm -hmm. So I just, I'm constantly trying to think of ways I cannot be so conforming because conformity feels really good, but it's not good. Not, I don't think it's good for me, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think I'm a, I mean, I'm a very just, I think because of my anxiety, I'm a very tense person physically. And I realized that some of my poems and their form kind of mirror that. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's, it's valuable. Mm. And other times it's just like, it's like me. I'm like, you need to unclench your jaw. You need to roll your shoulders. Oh my God. (laughs) Stop shouting. (laughs) For real. (laughs) Oh yeah. Cause you're like, I can control this space. (laughs) That's exactly it. Yeah. I, I want, I want control, but it's like, you know, sometimes you just gotta let it let loose. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Um, I wanted to ask about the title Choke Cherry. Um, I would love to hear anything you wanted to say about it. It's it's a plant I grew up with. I don't know if it's something okay. everyone grows up with, but I did not. So I I mean I grew up in Arizona. So there's oh. a very singular botany in Arizona. Yeah. I mean, not specifically to Arizona, but just like a very specific region of the country. Um, so I actually I always have wished there was a better story behind the title because like with my other chapbook, I gave birth to all the ghosts here. It was, it was born out of a Facebook status, which I've always loved. Um, But with this one, I mean, I wrote the poem choke cherry and always felt like it was incredibly strong. Um, And I gave it the title choke cherry just because 
it seemed to encapsulate both the fact that trees play a really important role and that there's this idea of choking to death running in my family. And then when my book was picked up by Game Over Books, um, it had a different title that I was I, I did not feel 100% about. And so um, we were trying to brainstorm titles and I don't remember who it was exactly, but somebody said, well, why don't we just call it Choke Cherry? Because uh-huh. this is this is one of the stronger, strongest poems in the book. And also it kind of just sort of encapsulates this idea of, you know, the natural world and genealogy, family trees, um, you know, just the very, the way that um, nature changes as you go to different places. So um, it was kind of an accident where I just, I named the poem and then eventually um, the book also got that name. Mm. Well, I think it's perfect. And everything you're saying about um, the natural world mm-hmm. and the importance of trees and family trees stuff is, which I think our work shares, I, which is a connection I really love mm-hmm. um, I between too. us right now. That's I'm like, yes. Um, I was so incredibly struck by that image in Choke Cherry, which I was just wanted to check before I said something wrong, but that it's, it's not quite the first image is the triangle, but mm-hmm. I am hardy like an Oak fighting a chainsaw. And I was just like, Oh my God, that's like the coolest strong. <laughs> it's like this passive strength in a way that's so cool. And like, where else could you get that image from? Um, incredible. And oh, I know, thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. And when you, I'll say when you said strongest poem in the book, I was like, are you kidding? Like every book, every poem, oh. is, it's like a powerhouse chat book. Thank um, you so much. It's incredible. It's, I mean, I think it, what it's what make people really excited about a chat book. Like you can get something that <laughs> it's like so much bang for your buck. It's small. It can fit in your bag. It can go places with you. Um, you know, if you're intimidated by reading a 60 page book of poetry, you're not oh, absolutely. Yeah. You're not going to be so intimidated, even though your chat book is literally the same size as my book, like what become like it's the same dimensions. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a bit, it's a wide book, but it's thin and you're, you know, um, yeah, but even so it's still, but it's, um, 40 pages. Like that's mm-hmm. incredible. Um, and while we were there on, similes um I wanted to read a few from your next poem that follows choke cherry 206 days later yeah or if you wanted to read your poem yeah absolutely okay excellent (laughs) that's a much better idea (laughs) 206 days later this time there's no one around to call me back behind the screen door I wander to the bricks, muddy with my own handprints. The air is humid here. I collect it in my hands. There's a fingerprint-shaped scar on the nape of my neck that only I have touched. A crater on the moon no one's landed on. There's a fountain where I've only ever seen people stealing pennies instead of offering them. I wish I could walk barefoot forever. I wish I knew how to cartwheel. Once, a girl I thought I would marry made a list of all the people we had collectively lost in our lives. Let's name our children after them. 
I think I will always be a slab of July cement, attracting only mosquitoes and cherry syrup. I feel empty the way a museum can be empty. I count my bones just to be sure, as if a part of me takes off in the night while I sweat myself to sleep. Thank you. So um, one of the reasons I really wanted to hear you read that poem is because your similes and your metaphors are so incredible. Um, you know, they're just in incredibly tactile. I mean, there's so many, I just think of, you know, I think I will always be a slab of July cement attracting mm -hmm. only mosquitoes and cherry syrup. There's so much there. Um, the way you combine images, the way, and, and, you know, I, I would much rather talk about like really incredible examples, um, than say like, I was disappointed once reading <laughs> some yeah. prose with bad similes, but I have been reading some prose with bad similes lately. And I was like, oh, this prose writer really needs to go to poets who, who, I don't know, lavish, lavish their similes in, on their poems in incredible ways. And like, if you want to, if you want to spend time with some crafts where poets, you know, have just spent so much time on individual lines mm -hmm. in a way that you always, you can't always as a prose writer, like. Oh yeah, absolutely. I find that a lot of writers that I really, uh, I really admire and enjoy their work, um, especially, you know, that have been working within the last decade or so they read widely. They don't just read, you know, fiction or nonfiction. They read poetry. They read, um, well, I don't, I don't know what, I mean, poetry. I find that, yeah, if I, if I find a fiction writer who just loves to read poetry, I'm like, oh mm. yes. <laughs> or a poet who writes a novel. I love like o Ocean Vong's novel. Like mm. I love Ocean Vong's novel. Um, and I am always just so excited when I hear that poets are writing novels because I think yeah. the poets can do just such exciting things with fiction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same. Absolutely. Um, I'm especially I'm I'm always really excited when a prose writer is willing to kind of break it down in a poetry way and say, mm -hmm. like, you know, like I just read um, Chris. Belk's um, natural mother of child, the natural mm -hmm. mother of child memoir, mm -hmm. but it does a lot of things with like paragraphs and white space and also multimedia. And um, it, that, in, I mean, it's also a non-binary memoir. So, you know, you've got like so many different things happening at different levels in terms of genre and form. And mm -hmm. uh, it's so refreshing not to be like, to turn a page and be hit by a huge block of prose, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think I started thinking very seriously about, you know, finding poetry in fiction or in nonfiction as well. But um, I read Housekeeping by Marilyn Robinson mm. my sophomore year. And there's a line that my professor at the time, like, pointed out. And I think that sort of, you know, made it more of a focus for me. But the line is, the sky was like a candled egg. And I didn't know what a candled egg was. So I had to look it up. It's when you put a flashlight to an egg and you can see the chicken embryo. And when I read that, I was like, what? <laughs> How'd you do that? And it's just, it's so simple and yet so yes. vivid. Yeah. And yeah, that book, 
<laughs> so good. Yes. I, I'm doing all these hand <laughs> gestures. I'm like, no one can see me do that. That's beautiful. I was here for it. <laughs> um, you know, a, a true story about housekeeping is that I avoided it because of how I was raised with gendered mm-hmm. expectations. And mm-hmm. um, I was so turned off by the title of housekeeping. <laughs> and it was only Carl Phillips on Twitter being like, this is like one of the best novels out there that I was finally like, okay, fine. Carl Phillips says it's good. I'll go mm-hmm. read it. And it was incredible. I mean, gorgeous. oh yeah. Um, and I don't think I'd ever experienced a lake as like a character, like having a natural- I know, I know. It just, mm. Yeah, it's also just so incredible getting to read. I mean, it takes place in northern Idaho and I'm in western Idaho, but it's still just like I I can picture oh, wow. sort of like the town that it's based off of and it's just beautiful. Mm. Yeah, I didn't even think about that um, in terms of of landscape, which is just hugely important. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, when I was reading, rereading Choke Cherry this morning, and I was holding it. My my child walked into the room and they said, you're reading your book upside down very happily. <laughs> um, That's like, so what? sweet. <laughs> and then I looked at the cover and I'm not, I didn't even, I don't even think I registered that the image was upside down until mm-hmm. they said that. Um, and it's really incredible how the the title is in the smoke that's kind of blooming from the house and the mm-hmm. trees that are in a shadowed silhouette upside down. It's pretty incredible. Thank you. Yeah. Catherine Weiss did the cover for this and Catherine Mm -hmm. is incredible. Catherine is from Maine. I think they live in Maine again now. Um, And my, my grandmother's family is from Maine. So Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of really formative time there when I was, when I was younger. And so we were talking and we have just sort of this, this kinship about being from Maine because it's just such a strangely beautiful place, Mm -hmm. like very like, it just, it simultaneously feels so small and so just wide and expansive. Um, and so um, when we were talking about a cover, um, I think that one thing that came up a lot was just like the house that I went to a lot when I would go to Maine and um, the house that they grew up in, in Maine and the house in this is based off of their childhood home. But when I first saw it, it looked so much like, like the outline of the house that I spent so many summers at in central Maine. And just the, the detail, like there's just this tiny little speck of a star. And that always, mm-hmm. like, as soon as I saw that, I, I just loved that. And I love, I love Catherine's attention to detail. Mm. Yeah. No, it's very, it's very reflect, you know, I know that it's, it's hard being a poet sometimes and, or being an author when you've written all the words and then you see proposed cover art or like you're having to reconcile something about the inside versus the outside of your book and your book is like a real object in the world. Mm -hmm. That's hard to do, but I think exactly what you were saying in terms of attention, it just suits, um, your poem so well, um, and family houses and homes are Mm -hmm. so hugely formative. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And something like, I really like to think about my grandmother lived in Louisiana and Mm -hmm. my child and I were just walking by these, these older homes in Durham this morning and they're kind of low brick. 
I mean, they're just like the classic to me, like a classic grandparent home, yeah. especially in the South, but I know they're everywhere. Um, but I was like, oh, wow. I've never lived in on a one floor house. Like I've always lived in storied homes. And then I was like, whoa, storied homes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, look, there's a storied home on your um, cover. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, and that's something that comes up a, a lot for me with your work that, um, you're doing, you know, genealogy work, you're thinking about relationships, you know, you have, um, an individual who's like in this awareness of their own history and histories. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think of Boomtown, which, oh my God, what an amazing title. Wait, it's not even the whole title. Boomtown, all the places I am not, which I love. Oh, thank you. Um, and that's a long, that's a long oh, poem. Yeah, it's it's a big boy. Um, <laughs> it, um, my in 2019, I took a poetry class where our final, um, our final was going to be a chapbook, but I wanted to try and do something that would push me in a way. And I write, mm. I mostly write pretty sure like most of the poems in Chokecherry are only a page long. There are only a few that are more than one page. And so I was thinking, and it started with, we were in the Idaho history museum and um, we were doing an exercise on ekphrasis. And I found this painting that is, it was mostly pink and it's this house that's mm this pink house sun is setting there are railroad tracks right next to it and I was just so struck by it um and the title of the poem of the painting was boomtown and I do not I'm there was oh now I remember, now I remember what it was in the window of one of the houses was a sign that said Wallace and that is my mother's maiden name and my Whoa. grandmother my grandparents last names so I was like, oh, and I was, so I was immediately drawn to it. And I wrote that first little vignette in Boomtown. And then when I got home, I just kept writing little scraps of things that sort of started to come together. And so I said to my professor, I was like, can I, could I write a chapbook length poem and turn that in? And of course she was so supportive and read so many drafts um, and helped me figure out you know, what to cut, what to add, what to, where to expand, where to get a little more concise. Um, and I really loved that process. Um, and I'm trying to do that again, probably not a poem as long as Boomtown, but I, I am trying to write a longer poem through vignettes um, for my thesis. And um, I'm kind of, I'm excited about it, um, returning to that, that feeling of just sort of like a collage of sorts I guess that's how I've all like like just putting all of those pieces together yeah yeah that is so cool and thank you for sharing um not only the name of the painting but then the description of it I think that's so incredible um there's something I, I love a journalistic quality you know when it feels like a writer has returned to something Right. Mm -hmm. And and with long poems, you get that, you know, they can't have, and probably not. I don't know. There's a lot of debate over like Midwinter Day, Midwinter's Day. I always say that title wrong. Um, by Bernadette Mayers. And, you know, like, did they write it all in one day or what, you know, what, how, mm -hmm. how did that actually, and that like, there was like this myth around that. Um, 
but I, yeah, I think that's really incredible to experience. Um, when you bring up um, your thesis, are those, is it, it's a creative thesis? So is it? Yeah, it's poetry. Is it new, all new work or is, does Choke Cherry part of it or how does that work? It is going to be completely new. Um, and I'm really, like, I'm very excited. Um, and hopefully, you know, once it's done, I'll spend some time revising it and maybe it'll get published. I, I love chapbooks, like mm. no disrespect to full length collections, but I just think chapbooks are so fun and cool. Um, and I love putting together chapbooks. Um, so yeah, my, could I talk a little bit about Please. what? My, okay, cool. Um, basically I am exploring the idea of a feast day, especially, you know, that when, when it's attached to patron saints, um, and, but also just this idea of acknowledgement, um, rest, nourishment, um, and it started partially because uh, over the last 18 months, a lot of my poems have started while I'm cooking. And so food kept coming up. Um, and then I wrote a poem for St. Dymphna's feast day. St. Dymphna is the patron saint of the mentally ill among many other things. Um, she's just sort of the umbrella patron saint of people who are going through it basically. Um, and my uncle had a pendant for St. Dymphna. My mom had one. And so I decided to get one and I'm, I'm showing oh. you the pendant. Um, and I was just sort of reflecting on why I am drawn, why my family is drawn to that saint when none of us are religious in the slightest. So I'm just, I'm writing all of these poems that have to do with food and, you know, how it's based. It's, it's a struggle sometimes to feed myself just because I'm so tired, you know, dealing with grief um, and just sort of examining that grief and the food that plays into it um, through different saints. And so I just finished a poem um, for St. Erasmus's feast day. And St. Erasmus is the patron saint of sailors and abdominal pain. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Are the titles, are the feast days in the titles or around the titles? Yeah. Or? Yeah. So not every poem is titled after a feast day, but most, a lot of them will be. And so it'll be like St. Debna's feast day, St. Erasmus's feast day. Right now I'm working on St. Hildegard's feast day, um, which just passed like a couple weeks ago. That's so cool. That's really cool. Um, Thank you. I come from a pretty low, low religious background in terms of like low Protestant. So very mm -hmm. um, anti what my, how I was raised, not now, but um, kind of like popery is something my parents would literally say. Um, and so, but like saints are some of the most incredible. And I think you know, frankly, Protestants rob themselves. I'm just going to be really, you know, <laughs> controversial in this poetry podcast because uh, they're incredible. I mean, they're queer, queer yeah. saints. There are saints that are, are doing incredible things with parts of their bodies. Yeah. Uh, the narratives yeah, are, are amazing. Yeah. The stories are just so fascinating. And some of them are, you know, very gruesome and very mm. macabre, but mm -hmm. it's just, yeah, I've always been so interested in that. I mean, I 
remember being nine and finding a book about Joan of Arc at my town's tiny little public library and reading the jacket where it just says like at 14 she was part of this battle at 17 she got arrested by the English and then by 19 she was burnt at the stake I was like I'm sorry what and so I took it home and tried to read it it was not it was a little bit dense but I've just been fascinated by saints ever since have you written about Joan of Arc I have um I (laughs) quite a bit actually um I have written a few poems that reference Joan of Arc um my freshman year I wrote a paper for an English class about Joan of Arc I wrote a longer poem for a form and theory class mm-hmm. last spring. So yeah, it's come up a lot. I don't know if she's going to come up in this, but I, yeah, I've, I, so cool. I have this connection too. Yeah. So cool. St. Sebastian comes up a lot in my work. Um, mm-hmm. And he always feels like the most, uh, in some ways, the mo- you know, pierced by arrows, one of the most obvious poet saints. Um, yeah. <laughs> Jessica Cuello, her book, Pricking, um, which does a lot of really cool historical French set poems. She does a lot of Ooh. Joan of Arc poems. Cool. Oh, I need to send you, I have a copy of one of hers. It's just so wildly good. Um, I would love to read that. That sounds yeah. incredible. Yeah. I love those connections across books and yeah, the way poets can feed each other in those ways. And, and exactly. frankly, just unearth cool narratives. Like some of the things yeah. you read about in poetry is amazing. So Yeah. I mean, I think... I think that's, I mean, I, I've always loved history. Like that's sort of my second love. And I've been trying to incorporate it more in my poetry for the last few years. And it's just incredible. Like, it's just incredible. I love learning about, I love learning about history through poems. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a very cool medium to learn about history through. And I wish more people utilized that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Same. Absolutely. Like there are books that should definitely be being read in history classes. And, um, I think about that a lot because mm-hmm. being into documentary poetics, um, Oh yeah. There's so many ways and, and people do. Um, but I'd like it just to be totally normal practice. It's like, well, our political science class is going to read this book of poems now. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I just read a couple months ago, a cruelty special a cruelty special to our mm. species by Emily Young Minyoon, which talks about um, uh, just I basically just the way that Korean women women were just brutalized during World War II when Korea mm. was colonized by Japan, and I had never heard about that. Yeah, and so it's just this whole book about um, the just the horrible ways in which these women were subjected to just horrific sexual abuse. And I had never heard of it. And so that also, I'm just like, put, put these books in history classes so that Mm -hmm. hopefully people will learn more about the history that we don't get, especially, you know, in America where our history, our history classes are not only false most of the time, but they are very Western centric. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And books like, oh, I don't know, M. Naborse Phillips' Song or um, Philip Metra's Sand Opera, mm-hmm. or 
you know, these, these incredible documentary works that engage, engage the document, right? That's what, yeah. that's something documentary poetics do is they literally engage documents in, in new and incredible ways that other disciplines just aren't really thinking about. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so powerful and yeah. Um, I hope, I hope poetry continues. It's, it's mainstream. <laughs> it's mainstream <Yeah>. moment. <laughs> yeah. It would be incredible. Ride that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Lid, um, I would like to ask you to read one more poem, but yeah, before you do, would mm-hmm. you like to share with us some of your loves right now? Some of the things that are fueling you? Yeah, I, let's see. Um, gonna go a little bit literal um iced coffee yes I'm in my last semester (laughs) of college I don't know if I have ever had this much coffee in my life (laughs) I because like when I started college I was like I just cannot become someone who is dependent Mm. on coffee Mm -hmm. but lo and behold um but I started making my own iced coffee um for my mom during the pandemic, it would just sort of be a little ritual that we had where in the afternoon I would make us both a little iced coffee. And so when I mm-hmm. um, came back to Boise, I was like, I need to keep that up because I had come to really like my own iced coffee. Um, so I just made an, I have another pot of it chilling in my freezer right now. Let's see what else. Um, I think also just Let's see. I just read for the first time Mrs. Dalloway and I loved it. It just something, it just resonated so deeply for me, like just especially how interior it feels and that it's just so it's, it's a, it's a short book. It's, it's less than 200 pages, but it's so complicated but in a very lovely and very human way Mm. um and I read it for school and so sometimes I you know I think we just have a natural aversion to anything we are forced to read but I started reading and I was like this is incredible (laughs) so I just I love this idea of just I don't want to I don't want to romanticize every day especially right now but I've always really valued being able to find little bits of beauty and joy in every day. Like yesterday I was sitting outside on campus at Boise state and I was just doing some homework and this gust of wind came through and these tiny little yellow leaves started raining down on everybody in this little courtyard. And it was like a really, I just was thinking like, this is so lovely. Mm. Um, I sort of felt like I was in, my own little mini essay in um, the book of delights by Ross Gay. And so, (laughs) so that I, I love, I've loved getting to treasure moments like that. And then I'll just wrap up with um, I'm also taking a photography class this semester. And so I'm working in a dark room and I'm really loving the ways that being in this room that is mostly dark, save for some red light. um, And you know, just sort of standing over a vat of chemicals, staring at a clock. There's no sound except water running in the lab. Wow. And it's just taught me so much about 
patience and being okay with my inner just because I I have I think sometimes I am not okay with quiet just because I did not grow up in a quiet household so like I fall asleep I have a little machine that makes fake rain noises and I have to fall asleep to that um and you know I listen to music when I am just going about my day but this has given me a lot more appreciation for just the quiet and the simplicity. Hmm. Um, I, last week I sat on my living room floor for like an hour waiting for the sun to get in just the right spot so I could get a picture. And there's just something about just how slow it is that I have just really loved recently. Yeah. Oh, it's so good to hear. Thank you for sharing those things. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I will read, hold on. So this poem is called, I only misgender myself when Fleetwood Mac comes on. I'm not a woman, but part of me is always going to be a teenage girl screaming into rivers and watching herself weep in the mirror. Sometimes my hair grows like a curse word. My lipstick smears and my teeth find a new hysteria. I still identify as a spiteful bitch. The gold dust settles on my cheeks, but I don't. The tables have turned and now my father is afraid of me. Damn my fury, damn my forgiveness. I've learned to fight like an anarchist racehorse. My legs will give out before my heart does. When I was still a girl, I cut all my hair in mourning, twice. When I was still a girl, I found my grandmother's childhood braid framed in an attic. She sliced it off while angry at her father. I sleep with scissors next to my bed, just in case. I practice a running start. I tell the mirror what I want to tell my father. You will never get away from the sound of the that hates you. Thank you so much, Lid. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. I hope yeah. everyone picks up Choke Cherry and enjoys just the incredible work you've been doing. Um, Thank you so much. Yes. So listener, you can find more of Lid Haven's work at Lidhaven. That's L-Y-D-H-A-V-E-N-S.com as well as a link to purchase their new chapbook, Choke Cherry, in the show notes. As always, don't forget to rate and subscribe to Of Poetry Podcast if you like what you hear. Thanks for listening.